0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're finally in heaven, amen? It has taken us a year to get to heaven, all right? But we are in heaven. Well, we've seen heaven a few times along the way, but not like today. And I'm so grateful to God for heaven. A lot of people say that some people are so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. There is enough ignorance in that statement to ignorant up all of America. And America doesn't need any more ignorance, all right? We need some sanity. The people that think about heaven the most are the most blessed people and the most helpful people in the world. Because when you live knowing that this world is not your home, you are a spiritual sojourner a pilgrim passing through, and all of a sudden the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of the presence of Almighty God throughout heaven. When you start thinking about the fact that even if you eat your best and work out five times a week, you're still only going to be here about 80, maybe 90 years, and the way some of you drive, I don't think you're even going to get to that regardless. Of what you eat all right but whatever if you live to be a hundred compared to eternity that's nothing it's nothing we're talking about forever and ever you'll either be in hell like I talked about last week or in heaven and I personally want to be in heaven don't you (laughs) not just because I don't want to go to hell although that's that's a good reason But I want to go to heaven because I want to be with Jesus for all of eternity so let's talk today about a place called heaven revelation 21 beginning at verse 1 all the way through that chapter and then we'll go five verses into chapter 22 and then next week will be my final sermon in this series it'll be the 35th sermon that I've preached on revelation since the first part of January and it will be from verses 6 to the very end of chapter 22. But today, a place called heaven. First of all, heaven is a new place, a brand new place. Look there in verse 1 in chapter 21 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now God created the universe. God created the heavens and the earth, the very first verse of the Bible. And I tell people, if you can't believe the first verse of the Bible, you can't believe any of the Bible. The first verse of the Bible says this In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, King David testified to God's creative activity as well in Psalm 33, verse 6, in these wonderful words By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. God just spoke, and there was nothing before he spoke, and then there was everything in the universe. The writer of Hebrews testifies to this. He said in one of my favorite verses about creation, Hebrews eleven three. by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. There it is again. Now listen, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. There's no atheistic evolution here. There's no big bang theory here. There's no gradual mutation of stuff over billions of years and all that mumbo-jumbo that nobody can prove, God spoke the universe into existence. And that was no big miracle for him. It's just something he did. And the same God who spoke heaven and earth into existence is also going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It will be brand new forever. We'll be in a brand new city, and there we will never grow old. Heaven will be a new place. Secondly, heaven will be a godly place. That is, it will be a place where God dwells. In the Hebrew, it will be a place where God tabernacles. Look at verse 3. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Three times, the tabernacle of God is among men, he will dwell among them, God himself will be among them. Why is that such a big deal? Because heretofore, God the Father has not been among his people, Jesus has, the Holy Spirit has, but nobody will until that very point see the face of God. Now, Jesus has seen the face of God. The Holy Spirit has seen the face of God the Father. Now, the Holy Spirit's just as much God as God the Father. And Jesus is just as much God as God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. But no, none of us, no human being has ever seen the face of God. Now, I know that the Bible says that Moses saw God, but he saw the backside of God. He saw the form of God. Likewise, and, and that was in Exodus 33. And likewise, in Isaiah 6, there was a time where Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated upon his throne. But he didn't see the face of God. Moses asked to see the face of God. He said, show me your glory. That's the face of God in Exodus 33:18, 18. And God said two verses later in Exodus 33:20, 20, you cannot. You cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. It's what John said in the prologue, the first words of his gospel in John 1:18. No one has ever seen God. No one has seen God at any time, talking about his face. But the unique one, that's Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, who is of himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. We know what God the Father is like through Jesus Christ. A few people in the first century saw Jesus, they saw the Son of God, God the Son, but no one besides Jesus and the Holy Spirit has seen the Father's face. But all of that is going to change one day when He dwells with us, when He tabernacles with us. We will see Him face to face. Heaven will be a godly place. And then heaven will also be an encouraging place. How many of you need some encouragement nowadays? Anybody? I know I do. Well, I get it from the Lord. And verse 4 is one of the most encouraging verses in all of the Bible. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Are you looking forward to God wiping away all your tears? We've got some tears out there, don't we? Just keep living. You'll have some tears along the way. God's going to wipe them all away. There's no more longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things, the former things have all passed away. This world is a sinful, therefore a sad, depressing place. I'll just give you four headlines. I just randomly went and just picked up four headlines. and These are the first four I picked up. I could have had 10 or 20 just like them. Firefighters struggle to contain Kilimanjaro fire in Tanzania. I've been to Tanzania. I've been to Kilimanjaro. That's a big place and it's burning up. That's not good news. Thailand protesters take the streets against, again in defiance. There's not just rioting in America. There's rioting all over the world. God's doing something worldwide. Something's going on. Nigerian migrant worker burned alive in Libya. How about that for good news? U.S. gun sales soar amid pandemic, social unrest, and election fears. I'm going to tell you something. There are some places you can't even buy ammunition. People are so afraid. There's a terrifying fear that's gripping our world. This earth has a plethora, uh, an abundance of tears and death and mourning and crying and pain, everything that's not going to be in heaven. It all started with Adam and Eve. In the first sin, when they ate the forbidden fruit, that single sin ushered in a tsunami of sinfulness, and everybody got infected. You're talking about a pandemic? We're in a pandemic. We've been in a pandemic since since Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. It's called sin, a pandemic of sin, and everybody has it. We're all infected Spiritually. Romans 5, 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. At conception, you received a sinful nature. At conception, not at birth, at conception. You had the propensity to do wrong and to be selfish. It comes with the package. God created a perfect universe. Sin, our sin, has tainted all of the universe But in heaven, God reverses all of that. And in heaven, it's an encouraging place. Every tear is going to be wiped away. No more death, no more mourning over lost loved ones, no more crying, no more pain. All of that's going to be passed away. No more pandemics, no more murders, no more sorcery, no more immortality, no more war, no more communism, socialism, abortion, atheism, Satanism, secularism, lying, depression, racism, drug addiction, no more suicide, no more starvation, no more riots, no more political parties. Praise the living God. No more sin, no more Satan, no more hopelessness, no more discouragement. Heaven is going to be The ultimate encouraging place. Number four, heaven will be a promised place. God promises it. God doesn't break his promise. God can't tell a lie. If God promises something, it's on its way. And he promises us a place in heaven. Verse 5, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right. And then he assures us of heaven. For these words, the words about heaven are faithful and true. The Lord assured John, who was receiving the revelation, he said, this is 100% truth. If God tried to tell a lie, it'd get stuck in his throat. He couldn't do it. He is a God of truth. And he said, John, I promise you, heaven is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's an absolutely true place. I promise you, Jesus promised us heaven right before he died on the cross, the night before he died on the cross. In John 14, we read to me the most famous words about heaven in all of history. Verses 1 through 6, don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. I, I don't I think about it. He's about to die on the cross, and he's comforting everybody else. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know how to get there? How do we know the way? He said, oh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father unless he comes through me. I am the way. I'm the way to heaven. Jesus said you want to go to heaven you got to come through me he said, heaven is encouraging to the soul. Let not your heart be troubled. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to be troubled. You're on your way to heaven. And heaven is not only encouraging to the soul, but it's erected for the saints. I go to prepare a place for you, those of you who follow me, those of you who have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus. And not only is it encouraging to the soul and erected for the saints, but it's entered through the Savior. I am the way, not a way, the way, the truth, the life. You can't get to heaven unless you go through me. That's what Jesus said. He promised us heaven, and Jesus Never lies. Heaven will be a promised place. And then, number five, heaven will be a satisfying place. Look at verse six. And he said to them, to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'll give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the A, I'm the Z. Everything that you need in mankind, I will satisfy you with that. You ever notice how this world is not satisfying? You get a new car and somebody bumps it with a buggy at Kroger. Or you drive it for a year and you say, you know, I really shouldn't have gotten this car, I should have got that other car, and it's already got 12,000 miles on it. Man, I need to trade this in never satisfied, never satisfied. Well, I'll have a hamburger and then somebody brings out a po' boy and you you say, I got the wrong thing. We're always wanting something we don't have. You got to be careful. You can even do that when you're looking at somebody else and you're not married to them. I'll tell you something. You better keep your eyes fixed on the Lord and on your spouse. By the way, if if that illustration bothers you, that illustration is in the 10th commandment about not coveting, all right? But we covet all the time. Our house doesn't look right. Our hair doesn't look right. Well, I've got long hair. I guess I'll shorten it. Well, I've got short hair. I think I'll make it long. Well, I've got curly hair. I'm going to straighten it out. Well, I've got straight hair. I'm going to curl it. We're never satisfied. And why is that? Because God God knows we'll only be satisfied ultimately in him, and in his perfect presence in heaven. Heaven is a perfectly satisfying place. We're going to drink water living water and never thirst again. Didn't I hear Jesus say something about that when he was talking to the woman at the well? John chapter 4 verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of spring water. Literally a fountain of water flowing from inside out, springing up to eternal life. Only Jesus can give you that. Only Jesus can satisfy. You'll never be satisfied in this world. You'll always be wanting something else. You you may have this, but you don't have that. You're always wanting something else. That's why people go out shopping, by the way. They're not far enough in debt as it is. They want to go a little deeper, all right? Just need one more thing. and Then they give it all away at a garage sale or when they die, their kids give it away or throw it away. I know you think that your kids are going to save everything you're leaving to them. Ha! That's a Greek word for forget it. Aren't you glad, though, that what heaven gives us is eternal? It's satisfying. Revelation 7, 16, they will hunger no longer. They will thirst no more, nor thirst any more. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. The world can't satisfy you, sin can't satisfy you, Satan can't satisfy you, but Jesus will satisfy you and ultimately he will do that in heaven. Heaven will be a satisfying place. It will also be an intimate place. We're going to be so in love with God and we will have intimacy like we've never known. Look at verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit these things, I will be his God. He will be my son. The word overcomes there is a very important word, nikao, nikao, and it means to prevail, to conquer, to overcome. It's a Greek word, and the Greeks actually took a similar word, a word that came from nikao, the verb, and made it into a noun and named one of their fictional goddesses Nike. Nike. How many of you ever heard of Nike shoes? Anybody? Don't act. I, I, am I living in America? Nobody raised their hand. How many of you have ever ever heard of Nike shoes? All right. Okay. Thank you very much. This sermon will go a lot quicker if you guys will help me out. Okay. <laughs> and in Greek mythology, she was the winged goddess of victory. That's why I have the little swish there. That's the wing of Nike. But this word nikao, means to prevail, to conquer, and that's what Nike means to. To conquer and all who have Christ, He is the overcomer. He is the one who helps us overcome sin and Satan and selfishness, and we will inherit these things in heaven. What things? No more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more mourning, no more thirst, on and on. God Almighty will be our God, we will be His children in the most intimate of all relationships. In all of the universe, Paul tried to speak of this incredible intimacy. When we come to know him, not only in heaven, but even the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Romans 8 verse 16, Paul says, for his spirit joins with our spirit. It's like he marries us. He he comes to be with our spirit to affirm that we are children of God since we are His children, we are His heirs. We're, we're going to receive all the blessings from our Heavenly Father. In fact, together with Christ, that is, joint heirs with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And if we share His glory, we must also share His suffering. That's momentarily, verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to glory, the glory. He will reveal to us later, whatever you're going through now as a Christian, look at me, it's going to be over before you know it and you're going to be in heaven. And I'm telling you, you won't remember it when you get there. It's going to be so overwhelming. The intimacy you have with God in heaven is going to be so overwhelming. It is an intimate place and everybody is looking for intimacy. And the only place you can find it is in Jesus Christ. Number seven, heaven will be a holy place. Some people are not going to get in. Look at chapter 21, verse 8. Now stay with me. Don't get messed up on this verse. Please stay with me. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is a strong word about the holiness of God. Now, what does this text say? What does it mean? And what does it not say? And what does it not mean? Does it mean and does it say that if you've ever committed any of these sins one time, you don't get in to heaven? That is not what it says. You know what? I know it's not what it says. If that was, nobody would be saved. Everybody would go to hell. Everybody's not going to hell. What he's saying is that the Lord was saying, if any of these sins consistently characterizes your life and you have shown no repentance, no desire to be set free, if you have struggled with drugs or being a drunkard and you have no desire to repent, then yeah, that's a sign that you're not on your way to heaven. If you tell lies habitually, and you don't want to repent, you don't care about the truth, look at me, you're not saved. And if occasionally you slip up, whether it's drugs or alcohol, and, and you're fighting it, and you're asking the Lord to help, or if you slip up and you tell a lie, or if you mess up some other way, and you repent, and you say, Lord, I sense by your spirit that I have grieved the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. When God saves you, he puts the Holy Spirit in your body. And the minute you sin as a Christian, guess what? You don't have to call. Hey, Brother Steve, did I sit? You don't have to call me. The Holy Ghost will say, whoa, stop right here. You're not going to talk that way. You're not going to act that way. You're not going to live. You will know. If the Lord is in you, you will know. It's called Conviction. Conviction. And if you don't have that, it's because the Spirit of God's not in you. You're not saved. If you can sin and just do whatever you want to to people and and be whatever you want to be and just, just break the laws of God and it doesn't bother you, then you need to get saved today. You're not a Christian. That's what this is saying. And I want to tell you something. I don't care what sin it is. Adultery, fornication, murder, homosexuality. God can pull you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a rock and save you and change you and put his spirit in you. Anybody can be forgiven. Now I want to say this to you. We live in a day when some people are saying that 8 and 10-year-old children should have the right to decide if they want to transgender. Look at me. 8 and 10-year-old children don't even know what they want for lunch. They should not be mutilated by somebody that has gone nuts. That is ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. But let me get back to my sermon. Anybody in this room that struggles with sin can be set free. I want to read to you some of my favorite verses. Now the first two verses kind of strong, but praise God, the last verse brings it home. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 6. You need to write this reference down. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11, especially verse 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, as people that cohabit with each other, people that engage in sexual activity outside of, before they get married, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, people who engage with sexual activity with people they're not married to, effeminate, homosexuals, that's a sin, thieves, the covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look, you ready? How many of you are ready for some good news? Here it comes. And such, look at verse 11, and such were, past tense, some of you. Some of the people at Corinth had been adulterers, but they're not anymore. Some of them had been drunkards, but they're not anymore. Some of them had been liars, habitual liars, but they're not anymore. Some of them had been homosexuals, but they're not anymore. But you were. Some, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. How many of you are thankful that God can change anybody? Amen. He can change anybody. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Heaven is a holy place. People who have had their sins forgiven, go there. And if you're a Christian... And you sin, I'll give you a good verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, when you get saved, you're on your way to a holy place. And then heaven will be a glorious place a glorious place. Look at verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. I love the way angels just obey God. Did you notice in that one verse, this angel had been, God had said, I want you to pour out the wrath of God. I want you to pour out my wrath on these sinners. And he went and did that. But now he gets to tell them, about the beautiful bride of Christ that's coming back. They just do whatever they're told. Look at me. Let's just be like angels, do whatever we're told. If it's a hard assignment or a more easy assignment, verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear Jasper, all oh, the glory that's going to fill heaven. It's going to be amazing. Later on this same chapter in verse 23, we see that the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and the lamp is the lamb. Unfiltered glory of God. My favorite verse, perhaps, it's one of them anyway. In Revelation is Revelation 4:11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Did you know that all of us, according to Romans Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, all of us fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. All of us fall short of the goodness of Jesus. But Jesus will give us His glory so that we can go into heaven. Heaven is a glorious place. Heaven is also a protected place. God's going to have a wall there to protect us from sin and Satan and evil. Look at verse 12. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Walls on earth protect us. People have fences around their backyard, especially if they have a swimming pool. It's, It's the law. You have to. You have to have a fence around your backyard yard if you have a swimming pool, because they don't want somebody, some child that's in the neighborhood, just going over there and falling in and drowning. It's to protect. It's to protect people on the inside and to protect people on the outside. On this earth, we have walls, and in heaven, there are walls, and apparently, they're protecting. Can't just anybody go to heaven? You got to go through a gate and a wall. I mean, some people don't go in. It's a great wall. It's exactly the word he used. It's elaborately decorated. It's majestic. It's magnificent. It's a high wall. We'll see momentarily in verse 17 that it's 72 yards high, almost the length, about three quarters of a football field length. It's going to be that high. It's got three gates on all four sides. The city of Jerusalem. And the Old Testament and the New Testament had walls. When you go there now, you have walls. Even the New Jerusalem is also going to have a wall. And it symbolizes the unity of the Old and the New Testament. The gates are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. That's Jacob's sons. And the foundation so- stones are the twelve, like the they're named after the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So you've got all the redeemed. In the old and the new covenant, all the redeemed of all the ages coming through these gates to go to heaven because they believe savingly in Jesus Christ. It's a protected place. Not just anybody goes there. Number 10, it's an immense place. I've had people say, how in the world is God going to build something for all of the redeemed of all the ages to live there? It would have to be, I've heard people say, it would have to be as Big as Texas. i got news for you. It's bigger than Texas. Now, if you're from Texas, I know you don't believe it, but it is. It is. Look at verse 15 and following. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod. 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal, and he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. Aren't you glad that angelic measurements are the same as human? You won't have to get a new ruler when you go to heaven, all right? I like country music. I like the old country music. And I like gospel music. So I really like gospel country music. If you didn't follow that, don't worry. I love Alan Jackson's CD, his hymns. I've got four copies of it. I've got it everywhere. I've got any device to play anything. And I love to hear him saying, I want to stroll over heaven with you some glad day when all troubles and heartaches are vanished away. Then we'll enjoy the beauty where all things are new. I want to stroll over heaven with you. You know, when I go walking with my wife, she's always saying, would you hurry up? She walks fast. How many of you know somebody that walks fast when they're exercising? I'm saying, what what race are you trying to win? She said, I'm trying to get my heart rate up. I said, what good is that? Let's just kind of take it easy. So when we get to heaven, I know we're not going to be married, but I'm going to stroll. With her, And you know what? Heaven is going to be one long stroll, 1,500 miles, deep, wide, tall, a perfect cube. Why is it shaped as a cube? Because in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, the holy of holies inside the holy place was 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet, it was a perfect symmetrical cube, symbolizing the perfection of the presence of God in the temple. It was twice that much—30 30 by 30 by 30—and 30. in heaven, it's going to be 150, uh, 1500 miles by 1500 miles by 1500 miles—a perfect symmetrical cubical place showing that the very presence of God, a big God resides in heaven and he's got a big family and we're all going to be together. And it's not going to be a segregated place. Every tribe, every people, every color, every language, and we're all going to be praising the Lord Jesus Christ. We won't be crowded. We won't be congested. Praise God. No bunk beds in heaven. Amen. We're going to have our own place. It's going to be immense. And then 11, heaven will be a beautiful place. Look at verses 18 through 21. He exhausts the human language trying to describe the beauty of heaven. He said in verse 18, the material of the wall was jasper. I've heard all my life about the walls made of jasper, a brown, yellowish, reddish color. It can be a cloudy, darker color, sometimes speckled green, orange, or black. It's almost always multicolored, jasper is, with unique patterns. And the city is pure gold like clear glass. Heaven is made largely of transparent, clear, bright gold. Speaks of its infinite worth of all the heavenly materials. And then he talks about the various materials. Now listen, verses 19 and 20. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, just like the wall. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amethyst. Now, why in the world is he mention all those names because those 12 stones are almost exact, almost, almost exactly comparable and synonymous with the stones that were in the breastplate of the Old Testament high priest. If you read in Exodus 28, he wore that breastplate over his ephod and it was embroidered with gold and at least eight of those stones are in that breastplate as well. And then notice how beautiful and elaborate heaven's gates are. Verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. How many of you have heard of pearly gates before? Anybody out there? Surely you have. That's where it comes from. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I heard an old preacher one time say, he said, man, gold is going to be so commonplace in heaven that God is going to line the streets with it. And if there's a pothole, he's going to fill it with gold. Look at me. I don't know if it's figurative or if it's literal. I believe it's literal, but I believe heaven is going to be one beautiful place. And then, third number twelve, it's going to be an illumined place. You're not going to be dark. Darkness is going to be gone. Spiritual darkness gone. Physical darkness gone. Look at chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-two and following. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God the Father, God Almighty, 1 John 1, 5, God is light. John chapter 8, John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And that's how heaven is going to be lit up by the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. No temple in it, but their light is going to be in heaven. Verse 23, the city has no need of the sun, or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. God the Father and Jesus, the Lamb of God. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Never be any darkness in that celestial city. And then the gates will be perpetually open. Look at verse 25 in the daytime. And then parenthetically he says, for there there will be no more night. Its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And the Bible says that only those who have the light of Jesus, who have been enlightened through the gospel in Jesus Christ, will be in heaven. Verse 27, nothing unclean. No one who practices abomination, lying. That is, nobody thats nobody has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can only go to heaven if you're washed clean by his blood, the blood of Christ. You can only go if you have the eternal light of God in you, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you. Have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus? What can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus? Have you been illumined by the light of the Lord? Do you have the light of God burning in you? Heaven's going to be an illumined place. Number 13, heaven is going to be a bountiful place. Now let's go to chapter 22, the last Chapter of Revelation and the last chapter of the Bible. Look at verses 1 in the first part of verse 2. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Remember that? Way back in Genesis 2 and 3. The tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit fruit every month. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah prophesied this very thing, the end of time. and He talked about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and Jesus' return in Zechariah 14, verses 5 through 9. Just look at it on the screen very quickly. Then the Lord, my God, Zechariah said, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, he said, my God will come. The Lord, my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. In that day there will be no light The luminaries will dwindle, for it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea. You know what sea that is? The Dead Sea. Total salt in it right now. You'll float in it if you try to just go out there and sit in it. You just sit in it. Not one fish in it. it is going to be filled with fish and life when Jesus comes back. Half of it is going to flow toward the eastern sea. The other half will flow toward the western sea. That's the Mediterranean. And it will be in summer. It's going to flow in the summer as well in the winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. Crystal clear, living water flowing from God's very throne and that water will quench us, it will be so bountiful, 12 kinds of fruit from the tree of life and not only will they yield once a year or maybe twice a year, no, every month 12 different kinds of fruit. What he's saying there, heaven is going to be a bountiful place. You say, well, I can't even fathom that. Well, I can't really fathom Jesus in the only miracle that's in all four gospels when he takes a little boy's lunch, five pieces of bread, two little bitty fish, and he breaks all of that and he feeds 5,000 men plus their families, about 13, 14,000 people. I can't grasp that. But you know what? If he can do that on earth, what do you think he can do in heaven? Jesus is not going to run out. Jesus is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. He provided for us here He's going to provide for us there. Oh, it's going to be a bountiful place. And then heaven will be a healing place. Praise the living God. Look at the last part of verse 2 in chapter 22. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. When is this world going to have peace? When is there going to be healing among the nations in that new Jerusalem, in that new heaven, in that new earth? The tree of life will provide abundant fruit and food. It will also provide some sort of healing well-being, health. We know that there's no death and there's no pain. We read that back in verse 4 of chapter 21. Yet in some way, the, the tree of life is going to contribute to our eternal existence. There are going to be water, living water, water of heaven, never-ending water that will quench your thirst, and you're going to have the tree of life is going to be there for the healing of the nations. Whatever that means, no sickness in heaven aren't you glad no cancer no sickness no myasthenia no weakness no more sickness we're going to go to a place where we're never going to grow old aren't you praising God no wrinkles in heaven amen amen no flat feet in heaven no bunged up joints in heaven no Alzheimer's in heaven, a healing place. And then last, I didn't know what other word to use except heaven is going to be a blessed place. It's going to be the op- blessed in the sense, now look at me, opposite of cursed, opposite of cursed. Look at chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. There will no longer be any curse. What's he talking about? Zechariah nails it again back in the Old Testament, chapter 14, verse 11. People will live in it, the new Jerusalem he's talking about, and there will be no longer a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. When Adam and Eve sinned, the curse of sin came upon all mankind. I read it to you earlier. I'll read it again, Romans 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. All of us are under a curse. This world is under the curse of sin. But when Jesus comes back, Jesus already defeated the curse of sin when He died on the cross. Paul tells us that in Galatians 3.13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When He was hung on the cross, He took upon Himself the curse for our very wrongdoing. For it is written in the Scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Let me tell you, look at me real quick. I'm almost through. Look at me. Jesus, a curse was put upon you the moment you you were In your mother's womb, the moment you were conceived, you had the curse of sin in you. You had the curse in you, but Jesus Christ went to the cross. He who knew no sin, born of a virgin, no sinful nature, then he never yielded to temptation. So he's the only sinless one ever to live. Muhammad was sinful, but Jesus was not. Buddha was sinful, but Jesus was not. Satan is sinful. Jesus is not. Jesus, though, went to the cross, and he bore your sin. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, but God laid all of that curse of your sin, all the iniquity upon him, and he stayed there until it was dark on the hill of Calvary, and he finally cried out right after he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook his son momentarily so that you and I would not be forsaken eternally in hell. And Jesus cried out after he bore your curse on that cross. He said, it is finished, paid in full to Telestai. The curse is broken. And now we can have forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 3, in the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve him. They will see his face. We're going to see his face. And his name will be on our foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And They will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them. And we, just put we there, put your name there where it says they, we're going to reign Forever and forever and forever and forever, and about the time we think we're not going to make it, we're going to get some more of those trees, those leaves off that tree of life, and forever and forever and forever. It's a blessed place. Hell is a cursed place. Heaven is a blessed place. So where are you going? You going to heaven Are you going to hell? Well, I I don't believe in all that. I didn't ask you what you believe in. I asked you where you're going because you're going to one of those two whether you believe it or not because Jesus says so. Not because Steve says so. What does it matter what I say? The Bible says so. God says so. It's heaven or hell. For everybody in this room, for everybody outside this room, for people that believe, the people don't believe, it's heaven or hell. So where are you going to be? A thousand years from today, where are you going to be? Well, I'm just, going to be, I'm just going to be out there, just bury me out there. I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about your soul and spirit. What does it matter if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? Jesus said that. Don't you want to be in heaven? There's only one way. I know that's not popular, but there's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. Are you going? I dreamed I had gone to that city, that city where never comes night. I saw through the mansions of glory. I saw the fair angels of light, I gaze for long years of rapture on the face of my Savior so true. I sang with the seraphim holy in the dream, I searched heaven for you. Can I sing you another song? Well I've heard of a land that is wondrously fair They say that its splendor is far beyond compare In that place that's called heaven my soul longs to be Oh if Jesus is there it will be heaven for me If walls there are Jasper, if the streets there are not gold, if every mansion would crumble and if folks still grow old, still I'll see everything that I'm longing to see. Oh, if Jesus is there, it will be heaven for me heaven for me it will be heaven for me oh jesus will be what makes it heaven for me all his beauty all of its wonder i'm longing to see and if jesus is there Oh, if Jesus is there, if Jesus is there, it will be heaven for me. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that everybody in this room Is on their way to heaven. I pray, dear Lord, that we will have abundant life here because of Jesus. But I also pray that we'll have everlasting life on the other side of this life. With your heads bowed. You know, it'd be bad to go to hell, it'd be bad to go to hell from a bar. It'd be bad to go to hell from a bunch of atheists sitting around talking. But I want to tell you something. It'd really be bad to go to hell from a Baptist church where you've heard the gospel and where you've heard how to not only miss hell but to go to heaven. And you've heard it. You know what to do. And now it's up to you. Will you repent? Will you trust in Jesus, put your faith in him that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead to give you eternal life? Will you believe that today? And then will you just surrender your life to him? That's really what it means to receive Christ, just to Give your life to him and just surrender. Some of y'all are holding on hard, man. You want to do it your way. I've been there, done that. Not anymore. I surrendered a long time ago. Yield to him today and receive him as Lord and Savior, and he will save you. Call upon his name, he'll save you. I presided over a wedding yesterday and just like a preacher can lead people in their wedding vows I'd like to lead you in a prayer to commit your life to Christ now just mouthing words doesn't save you I told that young couple yesterday just saying some words these vows that doesn't really mean anything if you don't mean it what you're saying but I want to say this to you if you mean what you're saying it does mean something So if you'd like to repent of your sins, believe in Jesus and receive him right now, not just so that you can go to heaven, you will go to heaven, not just so you can miss hell, you will miss hell, but so that when you wake up tomorrow, if the Lord gives you another day, you'll really live. You'll really live. If that's what you want, would you pray with me even now? Just pray something like this. Talk to the Lord and just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I want to be saved. Oh Lord, I believe you're the only savior. I wanna walk with you through the rest of my life. And then when I die, I want you to take me to a place called heaven that we've read about today, Lord. I wanna be there. I wanna be there with you for all of eternity. And Lord, I repent of my sin. I, I can't promise you that I'll never sin again, but I can say that I don't want to. I repent of it. I don't want it. I turn to you. I don't want to be a rebel. I surrender my life to you. I repent. And Lord, I believe you died on the cross, and when you died on that cross, you paid my sin debt. I believe that. And I believe you rose from the dead. I don't believe you're dead. I believe you're alive. You're not like Muhammad, you're not like Buddha, they're dead, you're alive. And I believe that you will save me now as I call upon you. Save me Lord Jesus right now. Wash me from all my sins and help me to live for you forever. And, Lord, I don't have to feel a thing. I I receive it by faith. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.